Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools is here every Saturday at 12 noon and we promote and we defend public education and that's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's education that is available to all children because it's on open access. All children have the right to the very best education that the taxpayers of this country can pay for. And uh, we also believe that it should be publicly owned and controlled and uh, there should be public provision by our politicians that they should take responsibility for the promotion and for the very, very best public education that we could have in this country. Now, we know that's not the case. We know that particularly since the 1960s and the 1980s, uh, private was somehow somehow ideologically being considered to be better. And we know that it's not. It hasn't worked. It's failed. Now, in press release 738, which is at our website at www.adogs.info, there's been an admission that privatised TAFE is a failed experiment in market-led education. Finally, finally the penny's starting to drop. Privatisation of education in this country just doesn't work. Why not admit the same about primary and secondary education? In recent weeks, Simon Birmingham attempted to make South Australian TAFE failures a political football in the South Australian election. In the process, he's made the TAFE crisis a federal election issue. The Labor Party's taken up the TAFE crisis, one created by privatisation of educational opportunities, which they helped along, by the way. The Gillard government were very happy to go along with privatisation of TAFE provision. Failed experiments in market-led education, primary, secondary and tertiary need to be buried once and for all. Now, Birmingham referred the South Australian mess, which had prompted the Australian Skills Quality Authority to suspend qualification registrations by 10 South Australian TAFE courses, to a Senate committee. Oh, that was not very... was politically inept. Because the committee, with a Labor-Green majority, had no difficulty in shifting the focus from local failures in South Australia to the nationwide problems of the vocational education system. It was aided by the fact that nearly all the submissions pointed to systemic failures caused not by individual wrongdoing, but by underfunding and blind faith in market forces. 
at least one submission from a John Quiggan, who's the Professor of Economics at the University of Queensland, made the point. This is what he said in his submission, and you can find it on InsideStory.org. Uh, if you go to Inside Story, you can find his, his full article, which is a very interesting one, and it has material that he put in his submission. Quiggan wrote, Vocational education in Australia is in crisis. Traditional on-the-job training through apprenticeships and traineeships is in decline. Technical and further education funding has been slashed, leading to the closure of many TAFE colleges and large-scale loss of teaching staff. Billions of dollars have been wasted on ideologically driven experiments in market competition and commercial provision, most notoriously through the vaulting of the fee-help system. The most obvious problems have arisen in the commercial sector itself, where most of the leading large-scale providers have been exposed as essentially fraudulent, exploiting government subsidies and leaving students with worthless qualifications. But the pressure to respond to market competition has also had damaging effects among TAFE colleges. The problems reported in South Australia are consistent with this analysis. This failed experiment in market-led education needs to be buried once and for all. Now, the Labor Party has got the message. This is, is an election issue. A shortened Labor government, aware of underfunding and privatisation rorts, remember they started it, will undertake a comprehensive review of the national vocational education and training sector. That's what they're promising if they get into government. But when will our politicians understand that they must get rid of the shonky private operators, including the religious providers, and deprivatise, that is, nationalise the primary, secondary and tertiary systems of education? Now, that's our press release. And a bit later on, Robert will give you a, f a bit more information on the Quiggan uh, submission to the uh, Senate committee. But we've got another one this week. There are two issues uh, that we'd like to refer you to on our website at www.adogs.info and here is the second one. Press release 739, Wealthy Schools Building Projects, The Politics of Envy Ritual. The resources arms race of the wealthy private schools has hit the newspaper columns again. The outrage, understandable outrage, of the use of public money for the extravagant new building plans has long hit the egalitarian nerve of those in poorly resourced public schools. Yet here it goes again. Palavi Singhal of the Sydney Morning Herald has told us that a 25 million library designed to look like a Scottish castle, an orchestra print and a chapel nestled into nearby bushland are just some of the new features planned for Sydney's elite private schools, despite complaints from neighbouring residents and local councils. In Sydney, Seven of these really wealthy private schools, and believe you me, they are, if you think it's bad in, in Melbourne, along the, um, the Glen Ferry Road and um, uh, those roads with all those wealthy private schools, MLC and Xavier and so on, if you think that's bad, then you go to the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Believe you me, they leave um, those, those schools for debt. 
What's more interesting than the arms race ritual is the arguments of those who are, as usual, outraged. Instead of merely mouthing a proper application of a needs policy or noting, as Associate Professor Helen Proctor of Sydney University says, it does seem extraordinary that those very top schools would need government funding, other older 19th century arguments are finally surfacing. Chris Bonner has recognised the ritual and questions the assumption that private schools are saving the government money because that's what they come up with. This is our money and go away, we're saving you money because look at all these students that we have in our schools. Given the level of overfunding of so many private schools, he's not far from getting to the dog's position. That's what our forefathers did in the 19th century. They said, if we are already paying for these schools and they're not giving us what we want, why not rationalise and nationalise them? Privatisation and throwing the opportunities to the winds of market forces has failed. And this is what Bonner has to say in his Pearls and Irritations. But I'll leave that to Robert too. So there's been a number of rituals. As soon as the schools go back, then we get the usual rituals, don't we, of uh, what the... um, the newspapers say, expecting us to be outraged at it and then getting us to write all the letters in because it sells papers. But is anything going to be done about it? That's the question. And um, the Labor Party and the Greens are reacting, but not enough, not enough for the dog's purposes. But let's have a little break. Those are our two Press releases that you find at www.adogs.info will have some lovely Schubert and then Robert will give you some more information.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to have my voice back this week too. It's really nice. Um, I sounded like a squeaky little, 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 little toy last week, but that's okay. The, the, my, my voice has come back and my illness has passed. So I'm here to talk to you about something serious in a serious voice. After, of course, we've listened to some lovely, beautifully serious music, some Schubert there. Here on the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools on 855 on the AM dial. Now, uh, last week, if you were listening, um, I promised I'd continue on our extended in-depth series on what's going on with the Ruddock Inquiry into religion and the state um, in terms of special privileges which are going to be thought about and perhaps legislated on special privileges to religious organisations in this state. But before we get onto that later in the show, I, I really should fulfil some promises that that the gene was making on my behalf in terms of filling in you some details on... I suppose the low-hanging fruit in the private school-public school debate, which is how much ridiculous numbers of dollars are spent in private schools on things that private schools don't need. Um, When I say dollars, I mean taxpayers' dollars. It's really quite simple. Um, Chris Bonner, who's a friend of the Dogs Program, um, probably should join the Dogs because he's... His opinions are pretty much now the dog's position, as, in, as are many other people, which I'll be discussing later in the show. As I say, later in the show, as well as Chris Bond, I'll be talking about the words of three anonymous teachers who put an article in The Age. They're anon- they have to be anonymous, of course, because um, their opinions are the dog's opinions, and if they, if they were named, of course, then their employment um, in the education system would be in jeopardy. So they have to be anonymous. But before we get to them, and they're interesting article in the age of last week. I'd like you to fill in on what Chris Bonner's going on about because Chris Bonner says the elite school systems at the moment, elite schools and, and the systems which, which support them are actually going nuclear on each other. One of the things about competition policy is that you have to compete. Um, and at a certain point it gets out of control. You, who is the enemy? Who is your friend? You have two rich private schools next door to each other. They become the enemies of each other and fight each other with the resources, which are provided by us, the taxpayer. Now, as Chris Bonner says in, in an article a couple of days ago, he says that in the time-honoured ritual, and this has been happening for a while, but I think it's accelerating, it plays out in the past, um, there'll be various denials um, about what exactly is going on by certainly the wealthy, the wealthy schools. The first thing they'll say in these wealthy schools is that, that they, they report that saying the government funds go directly to the educational needs of students and it's only the private funds that go into their sort of educational arms race. Um, they would also, they would also usually tell us that, um, that, that private schools save the government megabucks because of all the children who aren't going to state schools. And anyway, student outcomes, you know, the, the better outcomes at private schools, justify the huge expenditures that have been put into these rich private schools. Now, the embellishments will apparently include things like an outdoor rooftop learning terrace, aquatic centres, orchestral pits, and of course a bush chapel, chapel in the bush that they buy and build. One school is actually going to have two what they call vertical connection pods, um, no one quite knows what they are. What's that? Uh, to, to ver- I, look, I don't know. Uh, like Chris someone. doesn't know. I've done some research on it on the internet, and even the internet's went down. I've got no idea. It sounds what like something from the fly. It does, doesn't <laughs> it? Or altered carbon or some science fiction thing from the 25th century. Anyway, they've got them, um, and they say that they are an essential weapon in the elite school's arms race. 
Now, the claim that government funding goes directly to educational needs in these schools is probably technically true, but it is misleading. Anyone remotely connected with schools knows that the targeted funding enables other funding to be diverted for other purposes, including grand capital projects. Now, according to the MySchool website, state and federal governments paid $44 million in recurrent grants to seven wealthy schools in 2015. A substantial addition to each school's coffers. The seven schools between them, the seven wealthiest schools in Sydney, also allocated $25 million of recurrent income to capital projects. So while they were getting $44 million from the government to do all the education stuff, they took the extra money, $25 million, and built stuff for their educational arms race, including vertical connection pods. Now, where the exact details of where each dollar comes from are not actually available to us, the taxpayers, it suggests the schools receive more than they seem to need in terms of recurrent funds. So if they've got an extra $25 million to spend in a year between the seven of them, on capital works, that, that's, that's not direct educational needs, then that $25 million presumably could have been spent on educational needs and we, the taxpayer, could have saved that $25 million um, and given it to a state school. Of course, this in turn suggests that the students are already achieving at higher levels and extra funding isn't actually needed for things like teachers and learning resources. But if NAPLAN data on the MySchool is any guide, the students are achieving actually at much the same level as similar students in New South Wales comprehensive schools and not as well as students in New South Wales state selective schools. Yet the students in these seven wealthiest schools are currently funded in total at double the amount of the approximate $12,500 going into education of similar students in public schools. Remember that magic figure I keep coming back to? Between twelve dollars and $15,000 is what you need to spend on a child to give them a gold standard education. Okay, These kids are getting $25,000. Not just, you know, not just from the government, but, but from all sources. So they're getting double the amount they, they need to educate themselves. And of course, if you spend too much money, um, you've got to spend it on something like a vertical integration pod or an aquatic centre or a bush chapel. It's got to go somewhere. But bear in mind in this mix is taxpayers' money being allocated for these purposes. Now, of course, there's much more to schooling than test results or NAPLAN results or comparing HSC results or VCE results. Um, And this also shows little difference between sectors. So in the end, it doesn't really matter what school you go to in terms of NAPLAN and HSC or VCE. It matters what your parents' view of education is. And yes, it's almost certain that the wonderful outcomes, which can't be measured, will feature among the claimed advantages of these wealthy schools. Now that we know that the school sectors make little difference to measurable outcomes, it is remarkable how some schools prattle on about the education of the whole child and their well-being. The implication being, of course, that these schools do and other schools don't. So what about the claimed savings to government? This is about the money stuff. It could be argued, for example, that the six million, sorry, the $6,861 which governments pay to educate each student at St Aloysius College is a mere fraction, which is around a quarter, of the $25,000 spent in total for each student. So that is to say that the parents contribute a large amount of money and there's an extra six to $7,000 being contributed by the government for each student at St Aloysius College in Sydney, which is a stinking rich school up there. The independent schools, peak groups, mount this argument all the time. 
I think that's Riverview. I think Mr. Joyce went there and I think Mr. Abbott went there. Mm-hmm. St. Aloysius, yeah. I think. Oh. But, according to Chris Bonnet, it is 65% of what governments spend on similar students in public schools. So that's over half of what they would spend if they're in a public school. Students at Loretta Keller Billy receive 77% of what a child in the public school. So more, you're probably about $8,000. An increasing number of non-government schools receive not 80% or 60% or 50%, but as we have mentioned before, 100% or 110% in some cases. Now, Chris Bonner says it may amount to savings of sorts but it raises many questions about priorities. Student achievement is the bottom line business of schools and a principal or primary purpose of government funding. Do these students, do these schools, need large additional amounts of recurrent funding from government, as well as from parents? In total, the additional recurrent funding of non-government schools over government schools was around $5 billion in 2015, around $3 billion which was provided by governments. If we allocated even a proportion of this $3 billion going to independent schools would provide extras for schools where the investment would make measurable difference. Now bear in mind, these kids in these wealthy schools are doing well. If you give them more money, they're not going to do any better. I'm going to say that again. It's an educational proven outcome. If a child in a wealthy school the parents coughing up eighteen to $25,000 a year, which is more than enough to get the results you need in an educational context. If you give them extra money, you're not going to make them any smarter. You're not going to make their outcomes any better. But who's got the but, intestinal fortitude to take the money away from them? That's the question. Well, the answer is at the moment, no one. Oh. Now, there's an abundance of research which shows that subject to targeting and strict accountability, additional investment in disadvantaged schools does make an improvement with real achievement dividends. So if you give extra money to a child who comes from an underprivileged background and you don't give them $12,000 to fund their education for the year, but you give them $18,000, for instance, more than what's required for a child who needs it, that actually does make a measurable educational difference. There's a host of questions arising as a consequence from the overspend on so many of Australian school students. If a black hole is a place where things disappear without leaving much of a known trace, then there's an apt description of these schools and the money they receive. To what extent should public funding be allowed to contribute to this problem? Many politicians and commentators wring their hands over the amount going into schools with little apparent return. In this context, the questionable priorities of government have created a big part of the problem. In the past, such concerns about elite schools were written off by some as the politics of envy. The unearned status of these schools and the funding they receive is really the politics of absurdity, according to Chris Bonner. Now, this gets back to the old argument, uh, which Birmingham often trots out, and Pine used to back in the day when he was education minister. More money doesn't make any difference, so why spend more money? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what Chris Bonner is saying, and I agree with him, is that he's partly right. If you give more money to a child that already has enough, it will make no difference. If you give more money to a child that does not have enough, then that is where you make the difference. 
You're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. I'd like to like segue into this because there's another perspective. Chris Bonner, who's a retired school principal, has a perspective from the outside. He has the numbers, he has the figures, and I, quite frankly, he's got his finger on the pulse of not just what's going on now, but I think what's likely to happen in the future, because these problems aren't going away. I'm going to have a little break, a few station messages, I think, and after that, I want to talk about what some teachers, some anonymous teachers some teachers that have to be anonymous because we live in a country, in a state, in a regime that means that teachers are not free to speak about educational issues in the public sphere. The same sometimes applies in the, uh, in the tertiary sector too, unfortunately. Na, 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 na. Make sure you get to the International Women's Day Rally and March in 2018. It's on Thursday the 8th of March at 5.30pm at the State Library. Hear from extraordinary women activists, including unionists, disability rights activists, Aboriginal women and those campaigning against police repression. Join working women across Victoria for IWD on Thursday the 8th of March at 5.30pm at the State Library. We have a world to win. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a check or money order to Post Office Box 3,066. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And, of course, we have our website at www.adogs.info. It's www.adogs.info where you can link to our podcast to this as well. In fact, you might be listening to this podcast through our website. Who knows? Glories and wonders of the internet. Um, I'm referring to a really interesting article, which wasn't written by me. Um, probably could have been or should have been. Um, it was written by Anonymous. It was written by Anonymous on the 24th of February, 2018, in The Age. And the title of this article in The Age was, Why are the Liberals so terrified of our schools? Mm-hmm. Fascinating construct, fascinating concept. Um, now, I can't tell you who's written this, because they're anonymous, but I do think their words are powerful nevertheless. Um, the article says, When the Victorian opposition leader, Matthew Guy tries to whip up a moral panic about the state of our education system it is only so it can propose kicking it further down the authoritarian path. Mm. The Victorian Liberal National Ed- School Education Value Statement, which they put out two weeks ago, we haven't referred to this because it's very torrid reading. In fact, as an edu- a person who's involved in education, anyone involved in education, it's just pseudo-fascist claptrap. It's really weird, actually. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's like... Dutton got hold of education policy. <laughs> it's No, seriously, it, it's weird. Um, I, I won't go into it too much because it disturbed me. Well, Mr. is a disturbing person if you look at what happened down on the, um, on, on the Fisherman's Bend business. Well, I, I, I'm not, I, I can't, I can't, because I'm, I'm not a town planner, I can't comment on that directly, but I can yeah. comment on anything that says school education values statement is going to turn up some weird stuff. And it was released just a little while ago. And it, was, and it was responding to what they thought were the critical problems of the stagnation of literacy and numeracy test results 
as evidence of a breakdown of discipline, as a breakdown of teaching the basics, and then a breakdown of instilling sound values. Where's so, the evidence? Ma- so, no, no, I can't. Well, there isn't any. Sorry, I mean, I'm sorry, Jean, but, but you're absolutely right. That's a very good question. The answer is there isn't any. But Matthew Guy is a politician, and he thinks he's got the idea that if he gets tougher on education, crime, or whatever, just tougher on something, then everyone will vote for him. So he thinks the problem with education in Victoria is discipline, teaching the basics, and instilling sound values. And I'd just like to add at this point, before I continue with this article, Mr Dutton wants to have a Pledge of Allegiance in primary schools introduced as of 2019. He thinks that everyone should chant out a Pledge of Allegiance to Australia every morning before school. That's Dutton's solution to the discipline, basics and values problem. I kid you not. again in Turkey. Uh, it also, well, it's what they do in America. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's getting a bit weird, isn't it, dear listeners? This is Australia we're talking about. Anyway, I'm going to fill you in a little bit more on what, what Mr Guy's plans are. Um, these authors describe them, back to their words now, not mine, include installing police... In our, most ten, in our ten most high-risk schools. So he's going to have a risk assessment for all the schools. They go armed them? Um, well, they will well, be armed, of course. All, all police are armed in Victoria. Yes, outrageous. And they always go in pairs and they always wear flap jackets at all times. That's part of the new police protocols. So, you know, you know they'll, they'll be armed and they'll, and they'll be in flap jackets. So Mr. Guy's plans are to install police in our ten most high-risk schools, abolishing the Safe Schools Programme, because that's not values or something, and pumping up parochial Australian nationalism and stamping out celebration of diversity in the curriculum by, you guessed it, a pledge of allegiance every morning by all the students to be chanted aloud. I'm not sure, truth to tell, whether children have to have their hands on their hearts like they do in America and Turkey, Um, but this is all part of this Mr Guy's. This This is the potential government of Victoria's plans for education. Of course, this is bound to have a devastating impact on the educational opportunities of, guess who, the most disadvantaged and the marginalised students. But if Mr Guy's fear-mongering is about falling standard, touches a nerve for some, these authors say it's because we really do have cause to be worried about our education system. The Australian Education Union's response to the Coalition's values statement, which was published some time ago in the age, gets it right when it champions the greater greater work teachers and support staff can do when it comes to them being adequately funded and adequately trusted. However, as teachers currently working in schools, these authors say they were disappointed by the failure of the AEU to address the reasons as to why this trust and support for teachers is rapidly disintegrating. And this is where the article gets interesting. This is where these anonymous authors really are quite thoughtful. They say... The plateauing NAPLAN results Mr Guy refers to are a reflection of a much deeper crisis in our schools, the cause of which remains both Liberal and Labor policy. The thoroughly discredited market-based model of education is the problem. Research suggests this has been a key factor in the recently flatlining of student results in Australia. Now, Mr Guy claims billions of government dollars spent over the last 15 to 20 years have done nothing to improve educational standards. Frankly, many teachers would agree, although not for the reasons that Mr Guy suggests. In the first place, public schools 
have not seen the majority of the funding increases. Between between 2006 and 2016, over those 10 years, government funding to public schools increased around about 23%, round about the rate of inflation over that time. In the same period, government spending on private schools increased by 42%. And this madness is justified as government supporting parent choice in a marketplace of educational options. The Liberals, not so invisible hand of the market, reached peak corruption last year when the Turnbull government legislated to federally fund 80% of private schools' basic needs while funding only 20% of the government schools' basic needs. But the problem of marketisation runs even deeper. Public schools have been set in competition not just with private schools but with each other. We have had nearly 10 years of Labor's My School website, which encourages parents to play the system like the stock market. Low scores are punished with low enrolments as privileged families flock to high-performing schools and the least socially mobile remain in schools with the least resources to support them. I'm going to say that again. The least socially mobile remain in the schools with the least resources to support them. As a result, when a public school in Victoria has received meagre funding increases, these are too often wasted on programs that principals think will boost scores and will boost the school's reputation, even if they undermine real learning. Despite plenty of evidence that streaming actually reduces student achievement, select entry programs are breaking out like algae plagues all across the state. As are uniform policies, and the uniform policies, of course, are to mimic private schools in both pettiness and in pricing. There are so many commercial consultants offering to sell schools magic bullet strategies for lifting literacy and numeracy results that the Department of Education and Training has actually now developed a, and I quote, preferred suppliers list to help principals choose between consultants. These data merchants, and that's what they are, and I know because I am one, these data merchants are wreaking educational havoc. Their trade, how they get paid, relies on principals remaining in perpetual suspicion of a teacher's competence. Teacher coaches at one of these teachers' schools are interrupting excellent teachers in front of their classes in the middle of a lesson to tell them they aren't implementing the right strategy for the moment. Teachers across Victoria's public schools waste hours and hours of precious preparation time reformatting lessons and unit documents to fit each new guru that's been brought into the school's new magic bullet formula. Only for the model to be replaced at the behest of the next guru that turns up. And whoever the consultant is, teachers are encouraged to see their students as data points on an array of commercial, internal and external tests. That's outrageous. That was the job that the inspectors used to do, but only once a year. Educational market ideologues like Matthew Guy and Labor's James Molino are hostile to funding preparation time for teachers to plan to the individual needs to their students. 
and craft bespoke lessons to engage and challenge everyone in their class in front of them. The kind of education that starts with students and doesn't start with a test is particularly terrifying to someone like Matthew Guy. He is so disturbed that teachers could tell our students that LGBTQI people and same-sex attraction are nothing to fear that he would axe the entire safe schools and anti-bullying program just to stop teachers from telling students things like that. He is so petrified of students learning that Indigenous and non-Western people have profoundly shaped our world as well as Western people that he could cut non-compulsory curriculum references to them, cut out Indigenous history from the curriculum. What a nightmare for Mr Guy that we might teach students that literacy and mathematics are powerful tools for understanding and changing society rather than, than just being an end in themselves. He would rather we keep our eyes, of course, on the basics. And when Matthew Guy says the basics, he doesn't mean learning, he means test scores. The apex of Mr Guy's fearful vision is to call for police in schools. It suits his agenda perfectly to stigmatise and threaten young people who are being fleeced of a world-class education rather than rethink the marketised mess that is leaving teachers and students demoralised and angry. Teachers are appalled by the liberal scapegoating of our disadvantaged students. But in order to truly defend them, we must also stop the marketisation of our schools. We must demand that Labor breaks with the MySchool and the NAPLAN and start funding a public education system that both trusts and resources its teachers. And that was written by three teachers who withheld their names for fear of repercussions because they publicly criticised the education system that they work within. And we think the days of Canada are gone, but they're not. Because those three teachers wrote anonymously, and do you know what? I think they should too. I think that, because that's, I can, st- I can sit up here on community radio, on 3CR, and, and read out what they've written. I can sit up here on community radio and say what I say, because we have 3CR. It allows me to do this and talk to you. But there's many people out there that would love to say what I'm saying, but they cannot. They are constrained because they will lose their job. There are people who are academics, as Jean was saying, who cannot say these words because they will miss miss out on a promotion or probably more likely not have their contract renewed. Lots of people are in situations where these words resonate because someone has got up and said them, even though they've had to do it anonymously. You've been listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We'll be returning after a little bit of music.
Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools school are great of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> Our great state school for this week, of course, is Bentley Secondary College, down there in Bentley, down in that little bit of the east. Nestled in there between what all these wealthy private schools, there's a little secondary college called Bentley. There's a thousand kids go there. They're not poor kids, but they're not rich kids neither. They're the ones in between. It is a very, very, and I have to say, oh, this, this is one of the things I like about this school. I spent some time in it. Language background other than English, about 30%. It's reasonably multicultural school. About 2 or 3% are Indigenous down there in, in, in Bentley as well. Um, it's a mix. It's, it's a real mix. It's a proper mix. It's like if you looked at Australia, if you looked at Melbourne and said, well, what does Melbourne look like? Um, go to Bentley Secondary College. There's rich people, there's poor people, there's people in the middle, people in the middle on the make, people in the middle on the way down. Um, it's all just a rather interesting place, actually. Um, their school motto, well, I really like it, being the best you can be. Nothing fussy, nothing fiddly, just be the best you can be. Um, they set very high expectations down there. I know I've worked with them and they have very good and energetic teachers. Yes, yeah, so if you're listening, Mr Purcell, you know who you are, you're a damn good teacher. Um, it's a great place. They have very interesting uh, mix of curriculums. They're going through a massive transition at the moment because it was, and still is, a school of portables. It's a school of relocatable. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of buildings, of course, but a vast majority of, of the education teaching spaces at the moment are just portables. They're just that, really was the, that was the policy of the building people in the uh, education department in the 80s mm. because I think they thought, that um, the private system would take over. So, and they had a, and they was also, I can tell you right now, they also had ideas about the birth rate of the nation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they said, oh, we're not going to build any more schools because we're all going to get richer and better and we're not going to have as many babies because that's what happens when you... When you educate women, um, your birth rate goes down. And so, therefore, we've been educating women enough so the birth rate is going to go down. That didn't happen in Australia for all sorts of reasons, not just migration but also in terms of... Not just because of Mr Costello either, having one for the country. Yep. I can tell you, it's just a mix. It's like, how do you you look after Australia? I think the National Parliament should look at how the school leadership of Bentley Secondary College goes, because if Bentley is a a microcosm of Australia, which is the big mix of people having to get get on with each other and, 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 and do good, then the, way, then the way they organise the school, I have to say, is great. Okay, what are their NAPLAN results? Well, you know, they're all very good, NAPLAN, they're fine. They're fine, nothing wrong with them. Um, so, some, of them are, some of them are, like, really good, but basically they're good. They're gold standard education. Reasonably high total SES, it's over a 1,000, and so therefore they're on track with all of those. They're neither particularly brilliant in terms of the whole school, or, or they're certainly not any rubbish, they're, they're good. Now, what does this mean? It means if your child goes there... Your child's got a good step. Your child has the capacity to have a gold standard education. That's your child. That's all you need to know. That's what the government should provide. Government should provide a school that's open to all, offensive to none, free, because I as a taxpayer are quite happy to pay for the education of other children. I think that's perfectly reasonable. Free, secular, universal, open to all, and gives you a gold standard education. That by definition is Bentley Secondary College. 
They've got smart kids, they've got kids that struggle, and they look after the kids that struggle and they support the kids that are smart. That's all you want in a school. So how much does this cost us? How much is it costing you? Well, it's interesting, and I find this rather interesting. Um, it costs us, the taxpayer, about $10,000 a student a year. The parents, the parents down there in Bentley cough up a little bit, about, about 1500 you know, for all the stuff. Per and annum. Also, yeah, per annum. Um, they have a uniform policy, but it's not too strict. The kids, kids are cheery, you know. They, they, have, they have happy time. You know, sometimes you like school, sometimes you don't. But the environment the school provides allows you to enjoy school. There are some schools I've been to, many of them quite prestigious, prestigious private schools, where the school does not allow you to enjoy your time there. <laughs> or it allows you to enjoy it within certain very strict uh, boundaries, which they would describe as value-based boundaries. Mm. Um, Bentley Secondary College has proper values, and the values are you're welcome. You're welcome if you're here to be the best you can be. And if you do that, it's a simple rule, then you're welcome at this school, and that's what they have. And you know what? Their enrolments are going up. They're in the middle, I have to say, down there at Bentley, and it's one of those things where if you're in the middle of a renovation, it's never any fun. <laughs> But, yeah, looking forward to the end of it. They're in the middle of a massive renovation because they've done the right thing um, year after year after year by the kids in the community down there at Bentley. Um, obviously, in that situation down there in Bentley, there's a lot of kids that are sent off to private schools because parents think that that's what you have to do in the Australian environment. So I suppose in many ways, Bentley Secondary Colleges deals with what you would call the dregs, inverted commas. Well, i tell you what. These dregs at Bentley Secondary College will actually absolutely cream it at university because they know what life's like when they get there. So congratulations to our great state school this, this week, which is Bentley Secondary College down there in Bentley East. Congratulations to the teachers, the kids, all the administration staff. You're doing a slap-up job. And when your renovations are finished, I'm sure you guys will fly together. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive great Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools.
Well, we've only got a little bit of time left, but um, there is a little bit more information I'd like to say about the, um, the National Education and Training Sector Review that the Labor Party is uh, pr- promoting uh, themselves on, of course, remembering that they are very largely responsible for the mess that the uh, TAFE sector is in. But um, they are blaming the Turnbull government for doing absolutely nothing for the TAFE sector, and there is some truth in that. Uh, What has happened to the actual apprenticeship system is also a national uh, disgrace, and uh, they're saying that when they do, and if they do get into Parliament, a federal Labor government will make skills and training a national priority. Uh, They are also saying that uh, the Liberals have cut almost $2.5 from skills and training since they came into uh, power, including $1 from the apprenticeship programs and the Tools for Your Trade program. And this, of course, puts us in a a very bad position when it comes to the so-called house-building recovery that we're supposed to be in for our economy. There's something odd about it, especially when Mr Abbott then gets up and says that we had better cut our immigration intake because where are we going to get the skills from unless we bring in the uh, skilled people from other economies that are struggling uh, to try to boost our own. And um, they also claim the Turnbull government that government-owned providers will be funded on the same basis as private providers. So there's uh, no good news in the Turnbull government's treatment of TAFE, and one wonders really whether or not the Labor government are fair dinkum, especially when you look at the um, at the figures. But all we can do uh, at this stage of our program is recommend that you look at our website at www.adogs.info and press release uh, 738. But one very small thing before we go. Uh, there was outrage... Uh, from the secularists and others uh, in, in Victoria, maybe in New South Wales, that uh, Mr Birmingham went to a group of uh, Christian, uh, I think they were educators, and said that he thought that the Bible should be studied in all schools, particularly state schools. Uh, what did he say? Did Simon Birmingham push the Bible as a key text to study in Australian schools? Now, I'm now going to read you something from the rationalists in New South Wales because whatever they are about, they are about trying to promote the truth. And they said that he didn't really say that. What he actually said was, the Bible is a key text that, through the teaching of Christianity, has had a fundamental impact on the Australia we live in. Christianity's history and place in Australia is already part of the national curriculum, making some study of the Bible entirely consistent with adherence to the expected curriculum. So I just thought that I'd put that in. It is important uh, when we are dealing with matters educational and we are dealing with outrages of people that we don't get involved in any kind of fake news. Indeed. Um, I would actually add to that, Jane. Uh, that, that is, in fact, the exact words that he used, but I think the context is important. Where he said it. He said that as an invited speaker by a Christian American activist by, called Chuck Stetson. 
He's the founder of the Bible Literacy Project that produces academic study of religious texts around the world and who he did it on the stage with. Kevin Donnelly was one of the speakers as well. Birmingham was clever in terms of the way he said it, but he was in fact speaking to a very particular audience and it was the audience of the New Hope Capital Organisation. And he's, he, this, this fellow, Stetson, actually travels, travels the world uh, promoting Bible study. And he was very careful in Australia. And I'm pleased to say when he came to Australia to promote his ideas, he was more careful than he would have been in the United States because he did talk about the Bible in a secular context in state schools. Of course, that is 60% of the schools in Australia. The other 40%, of course, can feel free to teach the Bible as a key text um, um, in, a, in a completely different context. So I think it's good that you pointed that out, Jane, in terms of what the minister said, but I think it's important to say who he said it to and who he was saying it with. Indeed. This is the end of the Dogs program here. We've had our time on the radio for this week, but we'll be back again next week. If you're interested in what we had to say, you can check us out on our website at www.agdogs.info or indeed you can go to the 3CR website at 3CR, that's number 3cr.org.au. Um, but until next week, of course, when we're back fighting the fight again for the benefit of state schools and indeed a, a, a secular society here in Australia, um, it's bye for now. Bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joey here last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, here ten years dead I never died, says he Says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge. Says Joe, but I did. Says Joe, but I The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe. Says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on. San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you find your hill it's there you find your hill I dreamed I saw your hill last night Alive as you and me, says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead.